What is up, everybody? Happy money, whatever data ends and why you're tuning in. And welcome back to another episode of the Win-Win Effect Show presented by Winject Studios. I am your host, Chris Ross. And if you're new to us, welcome. Really excited and blessed to have you here for the first time. The outcome of this show is to inspire and help you, our listeners, to manifest anything you want out of life. How I go about achieving this is with my philosophy. One heartbeat, one mission, one outcome. And that only leads to you adopt the proper behaviors that will take you to another level of thinking. Today's episode is very special to my heart. I've had some time now since recording this episode to put a little bit more thought into the best way of introducing our many listeners to an individual of this type of magnitude and this frequency. But the more and more I thought about it, it's going to be impossible to capture the true essence of Charlie Smith. I can easily right now go through his list of accomplishments, especially when it comes to business, but I'm not going to do what everyone else does. I'm going to take this as an opportunity and speak to you from the heart. If you or anyone that you know, directly or indirectly, is going through a difficult time right now, and it's really easy in today's world because of what's happened, and the situation is so horrible that you don't know that they're going to be able to pull themselves out of it, do them a favor and share today's episode to as many people as you can. Let's keep it real, shall we? Everyone in life goes through difficult times. It's how you respond to those difficult times to define who you are and who you're going to become. Before you learn how to overcome any type of situation and doing it out loud, drop us a text at our new community app at 843-396-2104 and let us know how you felt about today's episode. Stand by for a quick message, and I'll see you on the other side. Enjoy today's show. This podcast is part of the Winject Studios Network, where podcasters come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how to apply to join the network, go to www.winject.com. That's W-I-N-J-E-C-T dot com. If you're ready to make a difference through podcasting, then we're ready to see you there. Big time, Charlie Smith. What's up, man? You all right? Good morning, Chris. I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I guess a good evening or afternoon for you. Good evening. That's, that's right. I'm in the future. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I'm in the future. Everything is good in the hood in the future, I promise you. I'm so glad to know that. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know what's so funny? I know that I didn't even tell you this right, when we, right before we hit record a little off, off camera or green screen or whatever they call it, green room. Um, I woke up this morning and, I, of course, I wake up. Usually around the same time every day, 4.48, 4.49, but always right before 5 o'clock. No alarm clock needed. But you're one of my first thoughts. I get to talk to Charlie today. <laughs> I was excited. like, wow, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was looking forward to this, man. So what's going on? Everything good on the weekend? Yeah, everything's great, man. I uh, had a great weekend. Family's good. Um, you know, getting some stuff going here uh, for work and, and ready to start the day. That's right. That's right. There's so much we can go into detail with kind of like jumping right off the bat with this, but you know, sometimes it's always good to kind of lean all the way in, but there's so much you've done in your life. And I feel like you've lived and just like a lot of other successful people that we know collectively together, we live different lives. It's like different lifetimes in different areas of our life because we've done so much, especially you being in real estate and commercial real estate, 25 years have being very successful in a lot of financially, spiritually leaning into a lot of different adversity. 
now what you're doing now and serving the marketplace in a different capacity in a different industry. But I think that's where your heart's at because all the things that we both, you know, are individually had to overcome with mental health, you know, dealing with alcoholism or drugs. Um, that's where this big, huge pandemic of what's happening right now. I believe that it's really causing more issues, people going back inside and they're not, no, they don't know how, or they don't have the right tools to be able to navigate through these type of waters and uncertainty. And that uncertainty sparks a lot of fear and a lot of other, other issues they have going on. But there's so much we can go into detail. But why do you think the shift right from that beginning of going real estate successful, why the major shift do you think? Um, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I had a, a I've had a, a 25, 30 and I still, you know, I still, I, I still have a, an active, yeah, an active commercial real estate practice. I still have some investments, legacy projects that I'm working on, but you know, when you go through a transformation as a human being, you know, and, and you experience change at such a deep and visceral level, and then you see a need in the marketplace for people that may be suffering just like you were, you know, when I was 42 years old, I'd had a successful real estate career, but I was really living a double life. You know, I was, you know, as my, as my friend, George Mumford says, when he was rooming with Dr. J back at UMass, uh, you know, he was a Joe college by day and and cool in the gang at night, you know, and and that was me. I mean, I was a professional (laughs) businessman by day, you know, but, but I lived in the shadows, you know, I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I found, you know, I was doing, I was doing lines of Coke in the bathroom, you know, while I was at business meetings, you know, I was holed up in hotels, you know, nice hotels, you know, drinking and chewing Vicodin, um, you know, and, and really living a very incongruent life. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I always say what you don't deal with is going to deal with you. And so when I, when I, when I went through what I went through at the age of 42, I found a real lack of the kind of support that I needed. So I kind of architected my own recovery through a lot of different things that I needed to do because I needed to stay active in my professional world. I had an active relationship. You know, I was married, I had children, um, I had, you know, a social life and and I, I couldn't just unplug from all that for any extended period of time. That would have created more stress for me. And You're so, right. you know, as I, as I spent, you know, the first, you know, seven or eight years in recovery, um, I found where my heart was, was really in providing the the opportunity that I had to create this kind of recovery program for myself Mm -hmm. and making that available to other people. And whenever you see how your experience can benefit somebody else, you know, I think you have a a certain responsibility to see how you can expand that. Right. Right. You know, as, as, as you did with your teaching and your, and your training classes and, you know, you had this skill and you saw how it could serve other people. I mean, it's where you, it's where you lean into. And so, Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like the first intentional thing I've really done. Right. And hundred percent correct with the courses and the things that I've done in my career. Once I saw that needle move and once I saw the impact that I was making in a positive way, I was like, holy shit. Well, I want to expand on that a little bit more. Like how can I maybe learn a different way of doing this? How can I take it to the next level? And you mentioned, you know, alcoholism or, you know, your drug use and congratulations on sobriety, by the way, that's a big thing. I mean, that's big. Yeah. Thank you, man. 13 years, February 14th. Yeah, you never forget October 11th, 2015 for me. So um, it started off as a, now I wouldn't say a joke, but it started off as like, all right, I'm going to not, I'm not going to drink. I'm going to focus on entrepreneurship. I'm going to focus on my career and, and honing in on my craft. I'll make it to Christmas. If I make it through Christmas, oh, I'll make it through the holidays. I'll make it to my birthday in April. Oh, I made it to April. And I was like, oh, I'll make it to, you know, football season. Make it through the summer. That's a big deal in Charleston, by the way. Make it through. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. There's nothing to do in Charleston unless I'm having, to get, I'm having a couple cocktails. So like, they look at you like something's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? What do you mean of you don't course. drink? You know, what, especially if like, I'm like the was always a flamboyant guy. You know what I mean? Like charismatic and just like wanted everyone to have a good time. And they were like, what do you mean you're not drinking? And I was like, I kind of like gave it away. I would like take a beer bottle and pour it out and then pour water in it or pour whatever in it. So I would get away with it. So I just didn't like to have that uncomfortable conversation. I'm not drinking. You know, so it's unfortunate that it has to be an uncomfortable conversation, but you know, that is society. There's a, there's a lot of commercialization of, of what drinking means. And, and, and for a lot of people, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of people that really do enjoy, um, you know, whatever it is they like to drink. I have friends that are wine connoisseurs. I have friends that are these IPA connoisseurs and God bless them all. I mean, I, I'm just built different. You know, for me, the role alcohol and drugs played in my life wasn't, wasn't for taste. It wasn't for, you know, conviviality. It wasn't for conversation with friends. I mean, it might've started out like that, but, but once I started the, and I always tell people, and it's very simple. It's, it's not what you drink. It's not how much you drink. It's not when you drink, it's why you drink. And if you are drinking or using to cover up emotional pain, or to avoid or to numb the way you feel. Ultimately, you know, we do things in pattern. And for me, I started to do that at the age of 12. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, you know, it's not, I never had a brown paper bag stuck into a trench coat on the side of the road. I mean, and that's why I speak so openly about what alcoholism is, because it really is why, it is why you drink and what happens when you drink. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the why is, you know, to cover something up, to numb the way I feel, to, to avoid, you know, that was my, one of my big whys. And then the unmanageability is, you know, once you start to drink, um, you know, if what you want to happen doesn't happen or what you don't want to happen happens, you know, then you've got to look at those consequences and say, you know, God, every time this happens, I seem to be drinking. And, and, you know, that's the unmanageability that, that, most normal drinkers, people that enjoy, you know, uh, drinking, they don't experience negative consequences. And that's why I, I kind of lay these boundaries and these lines in the sand for people. It's like, if you're having negative consequences associated with any behavior, I don't care what it is, Chris, gambling, shopping, you know, any of the, any of the things we do to extremes, but if you're having negative consequences associated with behavior, and then you continue to engage in those behaviors, despite those negative consequences, you have to ask yourself, is this really serving me? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a common denominator. I look back at my life and that's why I made the choice that I did at that time, Charlie, was, all right, I looked at the common denominator. When I was looking, I was trying to get to this level. And the only thing where I was looking at it, the only thing that was actually preventing me and stopping me from getting to that level of what I was trying to achieve in my business life was that. And it wasn't like, by, the time, by that time in 2015, it wasn't like I was drinking myself to sleep anymore. It was just occasional drinks. I would get, but then I would have that extra drink and I wake up a little groggy the next day and have to go back to the gym and like really sweat it out and feel a certain way. But that time that I was investing, Charlie, was taking away from all the other things that I was trying to accomplish long term. Yeah. And I, I, just could, I felt like I was like, damn, man, I couldn't get I couldn't break from that one area. I was like, man, I had all the talents and the ability and, and people backing me, Charlie, they're like, Chris, you can do amazing things, but you got to make that decision. And because I felt that my flu game, you know, Michael Jordan, right. When he, we beat people in that flu game, my flu game was better than 90% of everybody else. It's normal game. So, so here, here's the, here's the, here's the underlying issue. And I, I talk, it's probably one of my, one of my biggest kind of points that I make is, is we have two thermostats, right? We have our beliefs 
about ourselves and we have our behaviors and those yeah. dials when they're out of alignment, you know, we, we ultimately are going to run out of runway. And, and so, you know, it's that, that shame and guilt of, you know, I'm feeling groggy. I'm not my best. You know, those are, those are kind of, those are disempowering kind of scarcity mindset issues, right? You don't have those no matter what you're doing. So when you were, if you woke up and you didn't have those issues, you were ready to go. And when you have that shame and guilt or any of those kind of behavior dials that are turned back a little bit and they're not congruent with your beliefs, you got all these people telling you something, you believe you're smart, you believe you're productive, you believe you're entrepreneurial, but your behaviors are, are turned back a little bit ultimately that's called incongruency or being out of alignment yeah. and ultimate ultimately it's not sustainable you can't you can't sustain performance at a high level if those two dials are not aligned right it's, it really feels like you you're only working at like 80% capacity at all times and then when you have you know of course your peak moments when you get and you start like really like progressing you're like okay yeah yeah and then you realize you look back well for myself i can't really speak for everybody else but and I would look back, I'm like, well, shit, what if I didn't, you know, obviously partake in those type of activities? I can go out and have a couple of drinks with someone, but that was the issue. I could think in my mind at the time, I can go out and have a couple of drinks. But as we both know, for people like us, it's either one or a hundred or none. That's it. Yeah, the <laughs> I off, just know the myself. Off yeah, I the know off switch myself. got broken. <laughs> that shit. Yeah, it went out the window. So, um, so I guess, and so let me give you a little bit more context for everybody else, that, you know, is tuning into this because it's sometimes when me being a podcast, a podcast host, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way when you have a personal relationship with the individual, you sometimes tend to overlook like what was the, the major catalyst for you. Right. And cause I know your personal story, but they don't know your personal story. Like it, you mentioned 12 years old, you first started drinking and, I guess looking at life a little differently or start masking your own emotions and suppressing some emotions and, and not really dealing with the you, right? Um, I tell people all the time, you don't have a drug problem or alcohol problem. You have a you problem. You don't know how to yeah. deal with you. So what was, what were some of the things that actually started to, you started to mask and sort of suppress certain emotions and you started looking for different ways of making that happen? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an important question. And thank you, Chris, so much, brother. Um, yes. So childhood trauma is, is a leading contributor to substance abuse by statistics, 85 to 90% of people that have a substance abuse issue, eating disorder, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, um, have suffered some kind of childhood trauma. For me, it was violent. So I grew up in a, in a home to the outside world that looked like every other home in Scarborough, Maine. I grew up about an hour outside of Boston and, my dad was a college professor. My mother was a first grade school teacher. 1970, we're on the cover of Catholic Digest magazine. Um, but that was that was a fabrication of a true of a, of a life that didn't exist. I mean, I was yeah. from the age of five. You know, I started being violently and physically abused by my dad, and and I'm all, all, all often very. Uh, it's very important. I clarify, you know, I'm not talking about a disciplinarian, Chris, I'm not talking about a strict dad. I'm not talking about a dad who wanted his rules followed. Or he got the belt. You know, this was a violent man, closed fist punches to my face, to a bloody nose. I've had my head bashed against brick fireplaces. I had a gun, 45 caliber pistol pointed in my head at the age of 20. So it was, it was complex trauma. It was continuous. It was regular. It was unpredictable. And it happened for an extended period of time in my life. And the reason that I bring that up and why it's so important is because I started to dysregulate or deregulate my own emotions. And that's why at the yeah. age of 12, I started to drink was because what was happening to me was scary. 
scary and I didn't want to think about it. And more importantly, I wanted to fit in, right? So at a, at a young age, one of the most important things you want is to be accepted by your peers. Well, if you know they're not holding back tears and they're not covering up, up, up bruises and you see them getting dropped off at school with their shiny lunchboxes and you want to be like them, you can't tell them what's going on at home. Right. You can't tell uh, anybody what's yeah. going on at home. So the only escape I found, you know, and I, I think we do things in pattern because we get payoffs from them. I found, you know, alcohol at the age of 12 allowed me to numb, forget, and avoid what was actually happening in my life. Mm. Numb, forget. That's big. Wow. I, and you're 100% correct. I remember like thinking back to my childhood and obviously obviously not nothing ever to that extent. My, my dad was a great father. Um, I'm a very lucky and blessed individual. My trauma, my issues come from me watching my older sister that passed away that was born handicapped and like fighting to breathe. And it, that was a big gift for me. And I looked at it and I look at it now as a gift because I learned how to communicate non-verbally at a very young age with her and knowing what she needed. But here's where I fell into a hole. I learned how to do that. So I know that that was, I was, I got a benefit from that of make, taking away the pain of what she was dealing with. Then I started to do that in every aspect of my life and every person. I didn't know who I was at a certain point, Charlie. I was pretty much just putting on the face and the mask of whatever someone else wanted me to be. So, yeah. and the people that I was associating myself with at the time is after the, you know, in the Navy and after the Navy and whatnot, were all drinkers. And it wasn't like that. I really thoroughly enjoyed drinking. I, 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 if I thought about drinking a beer right now, I really, what the fuck's the point? You know what I mean? Like, I don't see the point. It wasn't the drink. It was the issue. So when I started like that, you talked about that, that misalignment and becoming a little bit more unaligned. I was a hundred percent aligned. I didn't know who I was. And yeah, that starts from, in, a, I just wanted to fit yeah. in. I just wanted yeah, to fit you, in. You create this false self. And that's what I, you know, yeah. it's like when it, when it talks about most alcoholics or addicts lead a double life, you know, the outside world, we present this stage character you know, that we want the world to see, you know, but inside we don't feel like we deserve it. And that, 100%. you know, from a very young age, if, if your safety is hijacked, you know, if, if, if your very sense of, of security is hijacked and you don't know, and, and, and your world is unpredictable, then ultimately you find other ways to, to, to regulate that yeah. because you're, you're not safe at home. You know, it's uh it, it's one of the kind of underlying issues of dysfunctional families. And, and in my case, abusive families, you don't talk. You don't feel right. Is that something you had to go back and deal with later on? I mean, when I know, I know your story and I was just for listeners and thank you for being vulnerable enough and being open to share this. This is difficult to talk about. No, I, I never want to overlook that. This is difficult to talk about and no matter what trauma, I don't give a shit to the extent everyone's, everyone has their own feelings. Everyone, everyone's different, unique and special. And just because, you know, someone else's trauma might be a little bit more extreme than other people's. You never want to overshadow that trauma's trauma. Trauma's trauma. And, 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 and and if you go through now, they've created an adverse childhood experience test. They're starting to provide that test more to to, to younger children. And the things that are on that test are, you know, you could have an an effect like my, my children have experienced childhood trauma, right? Growing up with a father who was an addict Hmm. and alcoholic and and not present for parts of their life when I should have been is a form of childhood trauma that my kids have experienced. You know, I used, you know, I, I, I hold my, in my heart that I've never, you know, laid hands on my children as my father did me. And I feel like I broke that cycle, but 
but the truth of uh, the truth is I've exposed exposed them as a result of my inability to deal with my issues to an alcoholic father. So my kids grew up in an alcoholic home. So we don't want to overlook any form of trauma. And and for me, it's just my truth, right? I there's and I tell that story. I don't tell that story for sympathy, for effect, or even that I'm a victim of it. I tell it because it's the truth. Yeah. And what you don't deal with in life, and I tell this to people all the time, whatever it is, but what you don't deal with in life is going to deal with you. Yeah. It's just a fact. The, 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 the check always gets paid. And there's, there's examples of that you know, at very high levels. Uh, I think Tiger Woods is a great example yes. of somebody wow. who wasn't dealing with things in his life. He had you know, this persona who, of who he wanted us to see, and then he had this different way of behaving. And when those two things were out of alignment for such a long period of time, you cannot continue. It, it will ultimately end. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And what I love about his comeback and winning the Masters is you can see how much more in alignment he is. You know, you can see the way he carries himself. You can see how much more, how much humbler he is and, and how more authentic he seems. And the truth is, no matter, no matter what, there's no way you can get to where he got and, and have all that greatness and continue that living a double life. And, and ultimately, all of us at a very public level or, or, or for me, you know, not obviously at a public level, but I was, I ran out of the same runway that, that, that everybody does. It's I think not we, a matter uh, of if it's a matter of when. Yeah. And it, it always comes to light. And you, if you, no matter what you do in life and no matter how much success, I mean, you think about overall when he lost his father and he sp starts spiraling a little bit more out of control and he was, you know, everybody else was looking up to him like he was a God and he was in golf. He was a God. I, it, I watched a documentary you watched it that recent documentary of him. I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's really powerful. And I, I think the most powerful thing to me is watching someone that falls to the pits of hell or falls all the way off the charts and, and just pretty much pushed away from everybody they've ever known. And they come back every, I mean, this is America. I mean, well, I'm not in America right now, but everyone loves a comeback story. Yeah, I don't I give a shit who you are. I don't care who you are. When he won that Masters and came all the way back, I don't care. It, everyone was clapping. Everyone was clapping. And I think they were clapping for a different human being. You know, I mean, yes. I think his I think his soul changed, and I think he learned some things about himself. I mean, I, you know, he's a very private guy, so I'm you know, I, I don't know the man. I just know that from from seeing the persona and then seeing a guy who got arrested for a DUI, you know, seeing somebody who was living, you know, as I was in the shadows and, and doing things that create shame and guilt, but wanting us to see a different person. That's the runway I talk. That's, that's the incongruency that, that was a part of my life. And I think it's part of every ultimately alcoholic and addict's life is, is some form of incongruency. Now, look, I, I'll be really clear with you. I find in my professional life and in my personal life, the exact same thing is true. I was at the gym the other day and I told my, my trainer was asking me about golf and he asked me my handicap. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm an 18, nine now, but I'd really like to be about a 15. And then I said, you know what, Ryan, that's bullshit because I don't want to be a 15. Cause if I wanted to be a 15, I'd be going to the driving range. I'd be right. practicing my putting and I don't do those things, you know? So I, I, I believe what I want has to be consistent with what I do. And I've stopped lying to myself about the things that I want, unless I'm willing to get behind the behaviors that achieve them. plain wow. and simple. Wow, that's powerful. I actually caught myself, I think it was like six or seven months ago. I used to always say, maybe more of an indication of what I would say these things, like a one-liner. They're like, hey, Chris, how's it, how's it going? I'm like, I'm always good. That's a lie. I'm not always good. I'm giving off that projection. 
You see what I'm saying? Like everything is good. So I stopped saying that shit. <laughs> then people go, how are you doing? Today's challenging, but you know, worth it. You know, or right. I say certain, you know, I'm going to be honest because but it starts with just that subtle drop of you, you know, the most, your... the most important honesty that I've learned. It's with me. Yeah. It's with me. You know, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, ultimately and I tell, and, I, and, and, and on, on podcast, you know, overcome out loud, we really go through yeah. a lot of stories with people that have overcome a lot of adversity and challenges and obstacles in their life. And I, I I look at a lot of them and, and they're like me, you know, I could pass the family test. I could pass the career test. I could pass the bank account test, but I couldn't pass the look in the mirror test. And mm. you ask about what the catalyst for change is. It's when you just, you know, when you just kind of look away, you know, it's like, you've got so much shame and so much guilt about the way you're living and uh, pain is a great motivator, but you get to that point where you, you can't pass the look in the mirror test anymore. And that's the most important test for all of us because all of the other external things are fleeting and, and and you can attach to them, but they're not long lasting. But what really matters is, is what I believe about myself and how I behave wow. in the world. And that was the most important test I, I can pass today. You know, I can, I can get ready in the morning, look in the mirror and say, I like that guy. Shit. You watched ever watch that show intervention. Oh yeah. It's a pretty good documentary. It's sad sometimes to watch. Um, I was watching one. I don't know. It wasn't recently. It was, had to been when I was in the States. So it had to have been at least five years ago or so. So I started watching some of some things and I was watching this guy. He took every mirror down in his house because he couldn't look at himself and like a glimpse of himself in a mirror. Yeah. And, and that's, that's boy, it's, that's, yeah, I just couldn't look at him. I mean, I, you know, I, it, and it's, it's something that you really have to ask yourself and, and, and then comes the hard part. And that's really why I've leaned into what I'm doing now, Chris is, so what do I do? Yeah. I don't like this version of me, right, but there seems that. to be so, there seems to be so much wrong. It's like when I walked in to see the therapist that I've been lying to for about six months and finally got honest and, and he said, it's over, Charlie. You know, I had a, a series of destructive, catastrophic and tragic events occur in my life. Yeah. And I was at a point now where the, the, the life I was living had come to an end and it was, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to chase this to death because you're dying? You're really killing yourself on the installment plan. So are you going to take this to the end and abandon, you know, any, any opportunity you have to turn this ship around and are you just going to sink this thing or are you going to make a change? And, and I looked at him and I said, man, there's, there's a lot wrong, but there's a yeah. lot wrong. And I think, you know, for me, that's one of the greatest gifts I can give people is, no matter how far down the scale you've gone, even if it's not as far as others, you know, once you, once you turn around and start climbing that ladder out one rung at a time, just, just keep climbing, you know, and yeah. that, that was it for me. It was just one simple, small step towards closer to the life I wanted and away from the life I didn't want it. Um, and look, it's 13 years and I'm, I'm still climbing. Yeah. Well, you got either you're progressing or regressing, which is pretty simple. It's not like, it's something to where people have a really hard time with trying to understand. It's it's really simple in life. I'm either progressing or you're regressing. You're never as like stagnant and just sit in one spot. You're going to make a move either way you look at it. I always would say to myself, you either you win your day or you lose your day. Well, I'm going to be the guy that wins my day. And I'm talking about the wins aren't by me making money. That's the easy part. That probably sounds really awful to, you know, the way that I would say that. It's not that I put myself in a position to win every day. And that starts with my routine. That starts with my thoughts, directing those to a positive outlet. 
not getting into the blame game or the shame and the guilt and feeling bad about myself just because I'm not currently where I'm at right now. I look at this as a different way of looking at it. I'm more motivated, right? Then if I'm not, I don't think I'll ever achieve the things that I'm setting out for because I'm always chasing targets, not chasing, like, I guess you would say goals and certain things. I'm just chasing the best version I can be every day. Well, we have, uh, we have, this right here is a, it is a goal seeking machine. It is built that way. So, so animals are also goal seeking machines. Their goals are just limited to survival and procreation. So, I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a squirrel, but a squirrel that was born in the spring doesn't go to nut collecting school. They all of a sudden winter comes and they know what to do. And right. birds don't go to like nest building school. They, they, they instinctually, they, they call them instincts, but they're built to survive, you know? Yeah. And, and so are we, but we need our, our, our minds need a goal. They need a place to go. And I was talking to somebody about this last night. I think it's the most important thing to understand. If you look at a goal, uh, a, 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 a guided missile, a guided missile operates off of a target. It's got a target in mind. But what it does to get there is the wind will blow and it'll move off target and it'll course correct and come back. You know, the, the wind will blow the other way and it'll move it down and it'll course correct. And that's us. Move forward, fail, come off course, recorrect, learn how to adjust, and then keep moving forward, you know, every right. single day. And I'll tell you a little story. So I was in seventh and eighth grade. I was going to pull them out before the but before we sat down, because I, I wanted to show them to you. So when I was actually, when I was four years old, I got a note home from my CCD teacher. My mother gave me these records. I really wanted to throw them away because I so was, I so hated who I was growing up. I didn't want anything to do with that version of myself. But for some reason, I kept them. I'm four years old and I'm in a CCD class and I got a note home from the teacher in CCD class about what a good student I was, about what a leader I was, even at this young age and how kids looked up to me. And how, and how, and how focused I was in class fast forward to kindergarten. When I first experienced my first episode of violent abuse by seventh grade, I was in, I was put into special ed. I was wow. learning, considered learning disabled. My report cards read like a uh, teacher's red ink pen would be out of ink by the time she was done. I was unable to focus. I was missing pages in workbooks. I didn't know my math facts. I didn't know how to spell. My handwriting was awful. I was literally being flunked out of seventh and eighth grade. My mother had a conversation with me, Chris, and she said to me, essentially, Charlie, I can't keep you safe. And what's happening to you is going to continue to happen to you unless we can get you to college. And in wow. freshman year, I went to a private Jesuit university and made honor roll. I didn't get any tutors. I didn't have a brain transplant. What happened was my belief about school changed. You talked about that just a little while ago. My belief about school went from a threat to an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it meant out. And all of a sudden, the same brain that couldn't learn his mass facts, that was in special ed, that was being flunked out of seventh and eighth grade, made honor roll four months later, five months later. And that's the power of our beliefs. When we change our beliefs about something, our mind, our behaviors are going to get behind that beliefs to achieve that success. Right. And that's it why hard. it's so important. That's that 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 belief dial is so important. Right. And it was more about survival on top of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, but you can get behind whatever belief you need. If I believed that that to be a doctor and I wanted to be a doctor and I believed the school was the road to be a doctor and I really wanted to be a doctor and I was going to be a doctor if I did well in school, my my behaviors would have got behind med school. But but for me, it was 
I want to get out of my house. I want to survive. I want to stay safe. And my mother just told me school is the way I can do that. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden I changed the behaviors that I was engaging in and I learned how to study and I learned how to go to class and I learned how to get good grades. Right. Well, you learned it yourself because it was a necessity for you. It wasn't something you just should have done, you know? Um, and thank you for sharing. I would love to see it um, one day, but yeah, definitely. I, I think for myself, even included on top of this, I was just having a conversation with another individual, something very similar. And I was mentioning to him, I was like, when you, when you change from the conversations in your own mind, from why me to try me, that's when you can accomplish anything you want in life. That's the only time. But that why me is the victim mentality and you're pointing fingers on why you're not successful, why you're not progressing. When you say try me, you're saying to the outside world externally, there's nothing you can ever happen and beat me because I'm focused on my internal dialogue. This is my internal. Nothing. If something penetrates to that, then you can beat me because I'll end up beating myself. But I was, and that's why I told the guy, I was like, listen, he goes, I want to make eight figures. I want to make nine figures. I want to do what you do. And I was like, in order to do what I do for a living, you need to go back into your internal dialogue and reprogram that shit. And it's not about what, what you see that I'm doing. It's not a, that's what your perception is. I, this, this is something that I get to do, not have to do. And that's where you're missing it. I get that- to do what I do. So you're talking about the fundamentals of thinking. And, and one of my mentors uh, is a mental conditioning coach. He was voted the, the best brain trainer by Sports Illustrated. He's Russell Wilson's mental conditioning coach. His name's Trevor Moad. And he talks about the science behind internal influence. And our internal influence is 10 times more powerful than the, in, the influence of external forces. So mm-hmm. what you think about me is only one-tenth as powerful as what I yeah. think about me. And I don't think what enough people really take time to do is to really understand what they think about themselves and what they advertise to themselves. I calls it a little bit of, you know, our own advertising campaign. Um, it's not conceited, you know, and it's not based in some false self. It's like, I've done that game before. Like I don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I'm going to be a starting linebacker in the NFL. I mean, I know I'm 54 years old and at this age, the chances of that are highly unlikely, but I do say I'm going to keep my commitments that I made to people today. I do say that I'm going to attend my, the the meetings that I set out to make. I do say I'm going to return the phone calls that are on my call sheet. I do say that I'm going to make some business development calls for Archway. You know, I do set down what I am going to do and who I am. And I'm a person who's, who's consistent and I'm a person who is courageous and I'm a person who is resilient. Those are not misstatements anymore, you know? And I always say to people, I gave, you know, I, I have a, a, usually a little pen by my, by my side all the time. And I gave this pen to my dad and to those teachers and to those bullies for a lot of years. And they used to write in the chapters of my life, Chris, wow, and wow. I would read them and I would wow. believe them. And you know who this pen belongs to? This is Charlie's pen. And what I write in the pages of my life, what I write in the pages of my book are the most important words that I can write. And I don't give this pen to anybody anymore. I love that. Wow. That's powerful. That is so freaking powerful. I mean, either you write your own book and write your own chapters and and, man, or you allow other things to write it for you. I love that. And I've heard it. Oh, they're they're happy to write it. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I mean, Right? No, don't go. Don't get it twisted. Like there's people in my life, bro. Man, wow. Ex, not really in my life anymore because I chose and I had those boundaries there. That love to tell me about myself. I'm like, I appreciate the judgment, <laughs> right? Like, 
but you have no, and they refuse to see me in my new skin. Refuse. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I just, I, I, I think that, and that's why, that's why I think it's empowering yeah. to have that pen in your hand and, and then to set some rules, you know, uh, Mike diamond always talks about values and rules around values. Mm-hmm. And I have rules about what I write, you know, something that I write in my, in the chapter of my life has to be based on fact. It has to be in my best interest. It has to sustain or preserve my life. I mean, there's certain things I know because I know, you know, I know for me, optimism is a risk reward formula. I, I've oh. been pessimistic. I've been negative and I've been negative about me and I know where it led me and I refuse to write negative things because I know the power of influence is that what I say out loud is more powerful than what I think. And if it's negative, it's four to seven more times. And that includes myself because my subconscious listens to my con- conscious mind and wants, and, and wants to prove that my conscious mind is right. My ego doesn't want to be wrong. So if I say, you know, you're less than you're not good enough. Guess what? I'm going to engage in a lot of behaviors to back that up. So I've got some rules around what I write in my book um, and, and, and how I use my pen. And it's, it's based on self-efficacy, which is, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I create the life that I want. Right. One of the biggest impactful questions I think I've ever been asked. And it was during the time where I was just about to make the decision for myself to really dedicate everything I could to focus more on me and my beliefs, my, and start challenging myself. The person asked me and said, tell me four things about yourself that you're the most proud of. I couldn't tell them one. I couldn't tell them one. Hey, Hey, Chris, I, I have to tell you, man, it's important. People understand this, that you, we are up against a natural bias against being optimistic our brains are like velcro for negative experiences it's really the way they were wired and so it's really up to us to retrain them i start all my staff meetings on monday by asking everybody to just tell me a win you know over the last seven days and even though they know even though they know the question's coming it takes them a while we're not trained to think about what went well not at all what i mean that's where you know i mean a good friend of ours um dave Meltzer, you know he shares with the world and i think it's a powerful message Start your day with what you're grateful for and end your day with what you're grateful for. You do that for 30 days, it'll change your life. Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely true. And it's simple. It's, we have we have a built-in negative bias that comes from our prehistoric mind. I like to yeah. say what got us here is not going to get us there because you know there was there's a reason that that our minds focused on negative. Wellspring Wellspring Institute did a study, I think about eight years ago, and they found that about 75 or 80 percent of our thoughts are negative. Um, Mm -hmm. and that they convert to long, what people don't understand is our negative thoughts convert to long-term memory instantaneously because they allowed us to survive. It takes 12 to 15 seconds for anything positive in your life to convert to long-term memory. Try focusing on anything for 12. You don't focus on, you know, this conversation is very meaningful for me and I will take 12 to 15 seconds when I get off this phone and I will reflect on how great it felt to sit down and talk to you because that's something I want my mind to recognize it can have again. Mm-hmm. you're re-anchoring emotion that you're controlling, not everyone else by their own narrative. And that's what's the most powerful part about what you just said, that most people are just reactive about what everyone else is telling them how to feel about a certain emotion. Like I'll, I'll start, I start challenging people all the time. I'll say, okay, tell me something that happened in your life that you feel that it's a strong conviction on what happened. 
and they start going through and they'll still tell me and I'll start changing. I'll start challenging the narrative on where they got that information. But do you know the human mind doesn't know how we capture memories properly? We only capture just because snapshots of a photo. But if I looked at my phone right now, I took a photo of this conversation. Boop. You can only see within that frame of that photo. But if I took, if I look back and there was another shot going this way and actually saw a different angle, that's a whole different, that could change the whole narrative, change the perspective right there. It that's is. An, what, uh, you, that's what the mind throw, is. You can throw out my acronym ACC and ACC stands for awareness, challenge, change. And most people don't get the, the change part, you know, so we have to challenge those beliefs and then we have to change them. So if they're not based on fact, I have to look at what facts in my life actually support the things that I am doing. So we could become aware of what our thoughts are is very powerful. Yeah. We begin to challenge them, which is even more powerful, but then the winning formula is to change them. Um, I'm going to go circle back and I want to touch on your podcast, which I love by the way. Thanks, what was the, you're welcome. What was the major reason why you were launching a podcast? Obviously to serve people and hearing it, but was it another form of therapy for you? Because I know what happened for me, but when you're recording episode and you're trying to reach a certain message for the facility, it started off maybe for the facility you do have now and the people that you're helping or what walk me through that. So Lots of people said, you know, you, you, with what you've been through, you should host a podcast. And yeah. there's so much content out there. And there's so many great podcasts out there that you can listen to, you know, all of the guys that are in the, uh, the, the Winject studio, all of the content that you guys are providing. There's so many. So it's like, wh where's my spot in this world? I mean, what do people really mm -hmm. want to hear about? And what I realized, Chris, is simply this. I suffered in silence. Yeah, and wow. I think a lot of people suffer in silence. And so Overcome Out Loud was born out of my desire to flip the table and turn the table on suffering. And instead of suffering in silence, I was going to overcome out loud and I was going to invite other people to overcome out loud, whatever challenges and obstacles that they've overcome to give other people hope, to give other people that mm -hmm. listen a roadmap out, right? So if success, leave if success leaves clues and people suffer and people can listen to the things regularly that other people have done. And I've had, I've had guests on that have overcome type one diabetes. I've had uh, Patricia McLean on who overcame domestic violence. She's the ex-wife of uh, Don McLean who sang Bye Bye yeah. Miss America Pie. Mm -hmm. I've had recovering addicts on. I've had recovering alcoholics on. I've had, I've had NFL Super Bowl champions who overcame being cut by three teams to, to, to per persevere in the NFL and win. I mean, so it's, 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 it's just a, an ability to give some hope to people that also, we all suffer. We all, we all, you know, people just have, you know, especially today, even more anxiety, worry, depression, fear. And so the, the, the real motivation, inspiration for the podcast was to be a vocal voice of overcoming adversity to give other people hope, plain and simple. Right. And I love it. I love it because that's where in the, in today's world, like you mentioned, we have just a weak society. They're weak. They're weak minded individuals because we're creating that type of we're making it okay and tapping into, because here's the thing. And I was telling a friend this the other day. It's like, it's just like going and going running. I, I hate going running because I've comes from this limiting belief. I, I never understood the logic 
Why am I going to run fucking five miles in the morning in the military, right? It's like, I don't see the point. This is stupid. That was conditioning as mindset, determination, right? So I obviously know it now, but I was telling them, I was like, you know, if I ran and I started running, your mind is so powerful. It's going to immediately start thinking about all the other things that you should be doing at that time. And it's, you'll, you'll start playing tricks on yourself. You'll be like, at that stop sign, I'm going to stop and tie my shoe. Or at this, at this point, I'm going to stop and take a breath and go, okay, I'm almost done. You're always going to the extreme. But once you quit and you give up on yourself, you just now trained your, you just dropped that anchor in your subconscious mind and made it okay. Absolutely. And that's the same thing for addicts, same thing for everything in life. You're making it okay because you got away with it. There's no accountability. Well, we, I think we do, I think in general society does, has done a bit of a disservice by, by all of the things. So we train our craft, right? There's lots of, there's lots of master classes on how to start a marketing funnel. There's lots of (laughs) master classes on, you know, how to, how to level up your, your business cold calling. There's lots of master classes on, you know, setting goals. We train our bodies, right? There's, I mean, if you look at the, just Google fitness apps and Google all that, but there's the most important facilitator of all of our goals and dreams is between our ears but and people talk about the importance of mindset but what we don't do enough of is train people on how to develop their mind and it's a practice it's Mm -hmm. if you go to the gym every day and do sit-ups or go to the gym every day and do bicep curls your arms will get stronger if you stop going to the gym eat pizza and watch netflix do you think you're going to have the same biceps that you had when you were going to the gym Mm -hmm. no but you can't develop your mind you know, George Mumford in his book, The Mindful Athlete, calls the, the, the mind like a two-year-old. If left unattended, it's going to throw a bunch of tantrums and it's going to be out of control. It's up to us to train it. But how do you train it? So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of mental exercises that we can do. Dave Meltzer's idea about listing things you're grateful for, it actually accesses different neural pathways yeah. in your brain. Yes. It's not it's not just to, so that you can feel good and you can, you know, list some things that you're grateful for. It actually changes the way your mind works. And isn't that what this is about? Right. That's what everything's about. You need to change that neuro, that neurochemistry in your brain. People don't understand how powerful that is. You can change it within three to four days. It's scientifically proven. Three to four days, you can change your neural pathways. And yeah, I was, feeling- I, was, I was 200 and I was probably, probably about 260 pounds. Um, I never, I never saw myself as a runner. I've got big, thick legs and I just don't run. And my trainer said to me, he said, look, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I just, it's how I saw myself. Right. right? And my trainer said, look, if you really are serious, then you're going to start doing cardio and the days that you're not working out. And I used to go up and then there was a, a, a series of fire hydrants on this road. It was about two miles long. And I would literally walk from one fire hydrant to the next. And then I would jog and then I would walk and then I would jog. And within six months or so I trained to do my first half marathon. And then I did four Ragnar relay races of over 200 miles. Now I run religiously, you know, three days a week, four days a week, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And sometimes now I find myself getting up on Sundays and wanting to run. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not, it's not because I have the desire to be on the cover of GQ magazine or, 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 you know, (laughs) it would be a good cover though, man. You look good, man. It would be a good cover, (laughs) but but I'm doing it because of what it does for my mind. You know, I mean, overcome out loud came to me on a run. It actually, it it releases really healthy endorphins, you know, yes, dopamine, does. oxytocin, serotonin. It, 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 you're getting all those things when you 
when you pump up your cardiovascular. So it feels good. I do it, but now I do it in pattern because I get a payoff from it. It's just, it's, it's just like I used to get a pattern eating a, you know, barbecued chicken pizza by itself from CPK or from Cheesecake Factory by myself. And I used to think that that was healthy because it was barbecue and it was chicken, you know? Yeah. I, um, you know, it's funny. I got the idea from Winject Studios running. And I, I, I believe got, it. I absolutely was running. I was running and it's, you know, I'm, I live in Canary Wharf area. So it's a peninsula and it's beautiful outside, but it was, I think it's back in July. So it was light, wasn't hot, wasn't cold. Obviously I'm in London, so it's not ever hot here. So I was running. I was forcing myself. Well, first to start off walking. I have bad knees. I tore my ACL in half, but that's a limiting belief too. I was like, oh, I got a bad knee. I'm not going to run. No. Sure. So I went out and started walking and I started running a little bit and jogging, started running a little bit more. So I would, I did it. I was forcing myself not to have technology. I wanted me, me to be alone in my own thoughts, no music. Music causes to trigger certain memories, certain emotions, certain, you know, obviously brainwaves, right? So I was like, fuck yeah. that. I, I need to go. I need to, I want to be alone, uh, alone in my own thoughts. And I started having these crazy ideas, bro. Like it, this is like four months in. I start have I start running now. I'm sprinting, feeling good about myself. And I was running, and I was like, "It it can't, your intuition. You pay attention long enough. Your intuition will like it's a very calm voice. It's different than fear. It's not in the back of your mind. It comes from your gut. That's why I say a gut feeling. I was running. I was running past this coffee shop here, and um, I wouldn't call it Bank of America. It's Bank of America, but it's got a building. Anyways, I was running through, and I was like, "Oh, hit the coffee shop." I was like, "Give me a pen." Give me a pen and a piece of paper. They're like, what are you talking? Who's this crazy guy? <laughs> and I wrote out the first, the idea. Like, this is what I want to do. And I stuck it in my freaking, I took it in a, uh, a napkin from the place, put it in a napkin, stuck it in my pocket. I was like, I didn't want to lose it. And I just went about my day and started running. So then I started like breaking it all down and reverse engineering it. Fast forward four months. I have licenses. I have business models. I have all the, all, I start reaching out to the right people. They're like, Chris, would you like to have investors? Melts all these guys. Would you like to have investors? Like, no, I have capital. I don't need investors. That's one thing that was important. Fast forward another two months. I now have 300 to 400 shows on a waiting list to come aboard. Of, I'm about to go from biggest network overnight in the world globally. And it came from leaning in and forcing myself to do something I didn't want to do. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, you know, it's so funny. I do the same thing. So maybe there's something to this. Cause I don't run yeah, with music. Yeah, I, either. Yeah. I don't run with music either. I, I, I purposely said, you know what, this is my space to just look at whatever comes this. to me. Comes. You're the first and, person told me, telling me this. I, don't, yeah. I thought I was alone, bro. No, Can, we're together. Man. <laughs> I love this. Okay. Talk. Why? Okay. Go through that. Walk me through that. Cause I'm going to, I, I, because See so I much want, of myself into that. I, Love it. I wanted to experience the run. I wanted to experience whatever I saw, felt, mm. and heard on that run without having anything. I, I spent too much time drowning out my thoughts and avoiding them. So I wanted them to come to me. And so, you know, I set my intention. You know, the hardest part for, I'm sure it's the same for you. The hardest part of going for a run for me is putting on my fucking sneakers. I mean, just plain and simple. <laughs> I, I, I make it, I make it so damn simple, bro. I would, I had to get my shoes, my socks, I'm every excuse known to man. You're right. I didn't even had, they went this far, bro. I would get a pre-workout drink and put the powder in the pre-workout, put the water right next to my bed. So the first thing I grabbed when I wake up in the morning and took a sip, oh shit, didn't realize that was a pre-workout. Now I'm forced. 
It's so funny. Oh, and my, my oh, significant man. other sometimes, Nina's sometimes like, you're still here? And it's like, I've, I futz a little. I'll go over here. And it's like, I'm mm. going for this run. I'm And I, and I never don't go. And I never right. don't feel great going. But I definitely like you. Um, I, I, I run with just my thoughts. And my, you know, I'll have a few things like I was working on uh, a, uh, a national personal development platform called Cultivating Optimism. It's a talk that I give now for leadership training and, and for corporate culture and personal development on the importance of cultivating optimism. And literally like you, I come home from a run and that talk just formed in my mind. I'll oh, start yeah. to talk about how I'm going to. And then it's like this, this will work better if you if you bring it in here and I'll grab a piece of printer paper and I'll just start. I mean, they're all in my office. I scribble down how it's going to go. And and really, you know, if people don't get that where you're in where your attention goes, your energy flows, they're, they're missing. I mean, and, and I think the problem is we just get into the natural flow of life is get up, brush my teeth, put my mm -hmm. shoes on, go to work. You know, the intention behind what we're doing is so important. So yeah, I do the exact same thing. I run without music. Wow. I run regularly and I get inspired, man. I was at a big board meeting. Um, just back in February, right before I sold the two trade schools and I was having an objection with the trade school um, VP and I was framing the question incorrectly. I was creating my own or recreating my own no. Okay. So, cause I was searching for a yes. So what I did was I learned this years, years ago, but I was so close to it. I, I had a hard time trying to unpack it and reverse engineer it for me to get the outcome I was searching for. So I couldn't relay the message, communicate the message. I was talking to someone through messages and through team members. So it wasn't getting to him directly. Okay. So what I did was I tricked him. And if he's listening to this, he, he knows because I told him afterwards. <laughs> it's funny, actually. I was like, I'm going to paraphrase and I'm going to on purpose intentionally paraphrase what he said and do it a little different and a little incorrectly and force him to correct me. And he expanded and told me exactly what he was looking for. And he was like, <laughs> after the deal's done, $12 million check, all that shit, right? What happened? Two months later, I was like, you know what happened, right? You know how I got you? And I did it eth ethically. I purposely, on like on purpose, paraphrased what you just said to me. But I did it a little different. And I was looking for you to tell me exactly what you were looking for. And he was like, son of a, you know... <laughs> Deal's done, you know, but I was like, I did, I did it because you're playing with my emotions. For sure. You're, you're I, messing with me. Like, I'm not playing this like, you know, so I was like, all right, how do I, but that comes from forcing myself to be alone in my own thoughts. That would have never came to me, bro. Yeah. People, uh, the, the, the benefit of just sitting for 15 minutes, oh, yeah, just man. really, but, but, but we, we get obsessed with avoidance you know and and some okay. people I, for me i was afraid of my own thoughts i didn't know how to control them i didn't know how to direct them they were really there from other people and and so i kept mm -hmm. listening to ex you know the external noises were really loud and they really fueled my inner my inner critic and my inner critic got very loud and and people often will ask me so you know 
like all of us have a voice inside of our head. I know I'll ask an audience, you know, I mean, you guys have a voice inside your head and half the people will raise their hand. The other half to say, I don't think so. As they're asking themselves, do I have a voice inside my head? You know, the voice answers for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, of course we do. But, oh, but my inner, my inner critic can only be drowned out by my inner champion. And if you haven't met I'll your inner it. champion yet, I would love to introduce you to your inner champion. And I, I talk a lot about what our inner champion looks like and, we all need to find him, and he's the only guy that can lower the volume of our inner critic because our inner critic has has been learned to be used against us for far too long. And when you meet your inner champion, um, I'll tell you something. It's a great friend. Right. What's the first step? If you had to give any advice for the people who are tuning into this and maybe they are having a hard time tapping into the subconscious part of their mind and, and really don't really know how to embrace the feelings and what to look for. Like what would be the biggest advice would you give for them to discover that inner champion? So um, I have a little acronym. It call, it's called ABCR, mm -hmm. and it's a rule. Awareness, breath, cancel, replace. Okay. And so if people can just be aware of how often their thoughts turn negative, and, 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 and that's why I call it mental conditioning. It's because I want to condition my mind to be aware of a negative thought. Oh, that doesn't serve me. Not good enough. I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. You have to breathe. Breathing is really important. And, and, yeah. and it's not because it relaxes you. It's because it actually, when you start to have a negative thought, it, it releases adrenaline and cortisol. It, it, yeah. I don't want to get into too much of the science, but it actually engages a, a, a really unhealthy part of your mind for living called the amygdala. That's that mm -hmm. fight, flight, or freeze. And, mm -hmm. and it actually prevents you from accessing your prefrontal cortex, which is where your, your kind of logical mind is. So the breath is kind of that eye of the hurricane with the wind swirling around that breath will center you and allow you to think logically. And so you have to cancel that negative thought. And this is the part that I, I can't emphasize enough. It's a capital R replace it, Re replace it with something that serves you. And that's true about you. And, um, I have a whole list and I'll post it, um, on my, uh, on my Instagram page, um, today I'll, actually I'll about put, our, inner, put, about I'll our inner champion. Yeah, I'll put the links there um, for my, my guys do a phenomenal job of putting together show notes and certain links when they do post the episode. So I'll make sure that we do that um, because, you know, it's kind of like that's the, the the love that I have for what I do and what we do collectively together is that we're just trying to come together as one. So that way we can focus on collective impact and reaching the masses, the ones that need to hear the story. Um, you asked a phenomenal question. We're on a group call with the rest of everybody that, on the shows and everybody in the, in the network, you asked a phenomenal question like, Hey, I'm, you know, I still have my commercial practice I still do a great job in real estate, but this is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I'm doing. This is my impact of the, the show that I have. This is the message I'm trying to get across. So what do I do? And that's, that's the power about behind what we do for a living is that we do have all these options, but I'm only going to recommend certain things for certain people if I know the source. Well, if I don't know the source, then I don't know where I can send you. Do you know what I mean? So uh, for sure. Right. It makes it really difficult. I know that we, you know, I'm going to get, be conscious of the time. I could talk to you every day for hours. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> it's like, I, Isn't that the truth? Right. When we met, man, I was like, wow, this guy right here. I said, like, man, I said, holy shit. I said, like, man, I, said, I just want to move to freaking California, but I can't move to like wherever you are. If I was there, bro, I'm just getting in the car and go sit in your office. Like, I don't know what we're doing today, but we're going to do something. 
well, we fun. are going to do something. We're doing it now. We're doing it now. And that's the great thing yeah. about, right. you know, people always ask me, you know, if they were to, if you were to boil down, you know, kind of the two fundamental principles of, of success, I think they come down to two things, information and relationships. Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, you know, really being grounded in, and being mindful of what you know and, and what you know and knowing what you don't know, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, th- and then developing relationships with people by seeing how you can serve them and by being interested in what they're doing um, and, and, and seeing how what you do. And, you know, I'm, I, I can't be everything to everybody. I have a certain set of skills that I really, really have perfected and that I'm really good at. And I'm learning others and I have lots of people that want to help me because I'm vulnerable and I know what I don't know, and I don't have to put that false mask on and, and assume that I, you know, try to, to, to tell people that I know everything about things that I don't know about. I used to be an expert in everything, you know? Oh, yeah. Hell my, yeah. In I my mind. We, right. We all were at some point because we had, we, we, we kind of came to a conclusion that we needed to be, we needed to know at least enough about certain things to be able to get across the message. And that's one thing about being, I guess, if you're masking your own self, you're, you're not, you're not aware of who you truly are. We're good liars. We're good people that can tell you what you want to hear and get away with what we're doing on our time off. Yeah. You know? People ask me, what are the, what are the, what are the, what are the symptoms of, of alcoholism? And, you know, besides the things I talked about earlier about, about the, the unmanageability, selfishness, and dishonesty are two really big symptoms of, of, of alcoholism and active addiction. And, you know, I found myself lying about things I didn't even need to lie about, but the the fact was, as I said earlier, I learned to lie at a very young age because being me wasn't okay. And it's one thing when you lie about, it's one thing when you, 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 you know, did you break that? No, I didn't. Cause you don't want to get in trouble. But when you lie about your true nature, when you lie about who you are, when you can't be honest about what's going on with you. That's when the world starts to fall apart at a young age. Right. And man, so powerful. It, I don't know when it shifted for, for myself. I'm, I'm trying to put our stories in a way for me to I understand. And I'm trying to communicate it to the listeners. I know what it was for me. I got to a certain point where I didn't want to lie to anybody else about what I was going on. But the only person I was really hurting was myself only at a certain point. Like I, I, I'm, Man, I'm, I was proud of myself that I would always tell people the truth, and I told them the truth. But I only lie about myself. Only. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and my, it creates that incongruency. Yeah, hell yes. My intentions was so pure. I wanted the best for everybody, but I was. I just felt like I kept hitting a wall, Charlie, like wall and a wall and a wall. And I was like, damn. I was like, you know. And I come to I come to the realization after cultivation of silence, cultivation of self-discovery and sort of leaning into that adversity and shit. It's like, all right, man, I can't throw a hail Mary up. I mean, how do I get, how do I gain five yards? Yeah. I think it's where that alignment comes in and, and, and really it's by, by staying in the game. And for me, you know, honesty, yeah, honesty was a, was, you know, kind of a, a, a new grounding principle. And I had to learn that lying by omission you know, not telling people how I feel, trying to avoid conflict, conflict by people pleasing, you know, these are all forms of, of dishonesty and, you know, rigorous, rigorous honesty starts with being honest with yourself. And and that I think is the most important part is, is not to lie to yourself 
And for me, you know, because of the pattern of being dishonest at such a young age, you know, I used to think that because I never walked into a bank with a ski mask and robbed it, that I was honest, but I didn't, I mean, that was my, that was like my, you know, that was like my, my measuring stuff right. for, yeah, for honesty. But, you know, I had a, I had a lot of dishonest behavior and, and it really did affect a lot of people. And, you know, I think that's, that's a very significant lie. A lot of people in any form of active addiction or selfish behavior tell themselves is I'm not hurting anybody. And, and when you put the glasses on of reality and see the lives that you've impacted as a result of your behavior, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, I think one of the biggest challenges that I've had to overcome is in, 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 in looking at the shame and guilt associated with past behavior. But the truth of the matter is if you get in your car today or you're in an Uber, the windshield is way bigger than the rear view mirror for a very That's good right. reason, man. That you know, is right. Where, I love that. Where say, are, that, say, I, that I, say that again. Say that again, please. Say that again. I said the windshield is much bigger than the rear view mirror for a reason because right. where I'm going is way more important than where I've been. I don't discount the fact and I don't take the rear view mirror off and deny that I've been some places that I shouldn't have been and that but but I've learned from them. And I think that's the most important thing about 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 mistakes is the value of learning from those mistakes and deciding not to make them again. What the, the hole keeps getting deeper and deeper when you make mistakes, don't learn from them and keep making them. You know, yeah. but when you have awareness and you, you decide to change that whole, you know, it might be three inches deep, but, but you, you put the shovel down and you moved on. You're like, I'm not digging this hole anymore, but right. the, but, but you have to be looking forward. You have to be, you have to be really careful about spending too much time in the rear view mirror. Just, just drive today and try to just look in your rear view mirror. You're going to crash the fucking car. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's, just it's true. Yeah. Well, you know, that spaceships don't come equipped with review mirrors, you know? So sometimes yeah. when you're, but you got to know where the hell you're going, which are coordinates. Absolutely. You don't know where I've, I mean, look, yeah. I've, I've learned a lot from my past, you know, um, Me too. but I don't, but I do not use it as an excuse mm -hmm. about how I'm going to behave in the future. It's, right. it's, it's no longer what's wrong with me. It's understanding what happened to me and what Charlie is going to do about it. Cause ultimately I think one of the greatest guiding principles in our lives is I am responsible. Yeah. I am responsible for the choices I make and the consequences that come with them, good, bad, or indifferent, but I am responsible. Yeah. We got to hold yourself accountable to that. But once you realize that nothing else is important other than right to second, like that was the, like an aha for me. Like, I'm not my past. I'm not that person. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm the, what, even the successes. That's where I, I was failing. That even I was holding on to those. That was part of my identity, Charlie. You know, I was making this amount of money. I was doing this in business. And I was, yeah, I, I was, that was my, that was putting out that mask. But inside, I was dying. Yeah, I was I so know. unhappy. I was so unhappy. And I see that. And, I, and that's hard for, and the reason why I'm bringing it up and, and right at the end of this, because that's what you do with your facility is for those who are sometimes at a certain spot in their life and they don't want to be perceived as a weak individual if they have that issue, right? That they're masking and they're, you know, trying to hide that part away from everybody else because if they, their team or their staff or the business looks at them like they're weak, then they feel like they lose everything. But it, overall you're going to lose now so yeah i think that's, that's a, the message that's, that you have that's beautiful I do. it's 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 a uh 
it's a matter of perception. And the truth is when I don't know, I, I, I couldn't consider anybody a stronger human being than, than, than dealt with their issues and had the courage to say, I need help and I can't keep living the way I'm living and I want to change. That's why when I created our executive recovery program, you know, while we've got some really great clinical support, most of the support comes from business mentors like Dave Meltzer and Mike Diamond and, you know, guys like George Mumford who have worked with Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. These are the kind of performance experts that I want to bring around our people so that they understand that while they're recovering from a substance abuse issue and alcoholism and drug addiction, and there's certain behaviors that go along with doing that, the idea is to get sober and live your best life and achieve all the things that, you know, you used to say to, you know, like I used to spend a lot of time drinking and chewing Vicodin saying tomorrow I'm going to really change this. And then tomorrow came and I kept yeah. doing the same thing. Now tomorrow just, comes and just I actually, one more weekend. just one more weekend, you know, yeah, one more, one more. And, 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 and now I'm actually doing, you know, now I'm actually living. And what you get from that is the ability to look in the mirror and to enjoy the ride. Wow. You know, there, there was a bar in Charleston that my grandpa used to drink at obviously when I was just a little kid and he passed away, he was alcoholic. Um, he was a very abusive man. And obviously I obviously didn't really help my father at all, but my father's a great man that he didn't do what he was doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there was a bar right down the street and you know, I guess it was right off the base in Charleston. It was called just one more. Yeah. That's something I'll never forget. I remember I, I would see that bar and I'd be like, that's the bar my grandpa would go and drink at. Well, he was dead by the time I got to like eight years old or something like that. But I would think about that. But that's, you said that and it triggered it because everyone always says just one more. It would get to a certain point. I would have Monday through Thursday and I would have, I didn't win my day, but I would party. I was partying like I won the fucking Super Bowl over the weekend. What the hell was I partying for? What was I celebrating? I wasn't celebrating. What, that I had a shitty life? Yeah, I know, right? It's empty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can see it in your eyes, you can see it in your soul, and you can see it what you're doing now. I mean, the 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 things that you're doing now, uh, and the kinds of of folks that you're bringing together is inspiring. And and to be to be just part of your life, and and to be on with you, and and to be sharing this ride with you, Chris. I just I can't thank you enough. Man, wow! Um, it, it, for you to even say that, and just even have the thought, it means the world to me. And I know that you you know that. And I, I just got I just got to be around. I force myself to be inspired by everybody that I come in contact with. And if they don't inspire me, then I don't associate. And, and our feelings are mutual, man. I love you, man. So, and I, I, I just want to be in your world and want to be, if I can serve you in any kind of capacity form, any way I can help and just to share your message or just hold space with you and not even say anything like that's, that's how I feel. I love you too. It means a lot to me. Thank you, Chris Ross. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, guys, you know, um, I'll put all show notes and we'll do all that stuff. We'll get you to Charlie. If you want to get to Charlie, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of feedback from this. And I look forward to coming on your show. I think it's this week too. Yeah, we're coming on Thursday. We're going to talk yeah, about I'm, all the things you've overcome to live yeah. your best life, man. I'm excited about it. I'm excited too. I'm excited too. Um, but two yeah, for two. That's right. Always. Never strike all out. Right, Chris. <laughs> That's but hey, it. I appreciate, I appreciate you, my man. Love you, brother. Love and you too, Chris. Yeah. See you soon. I'll see you. you up from week. All see right, you Thursday. Day. Yeah. Yep. See you Thursday. All right, guys. Y'all take care. Peace out. All right. You too.